Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is Put Not Your Trust in Polls. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And I'm joined again today by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. Dr. Matthews, pollsters are not having a good time of it these days. <laughs> they are, are not. They? You know, of, of, of the 2020 election had a lot of anomalies in there. Mm. Uh, but one of them was how far off the pollsters were in their pre-election predictions. And this became an issue of significance for them because they're not, they're not sure what's going on. So their trade association, the American Association for Public Opinion Research, got together a number of their experts, those who've been doing this for years and years, and to look at the 2020 election, compare it to the 2016 election, because they didn't do very well in the 2016 election. No, either. they didn't. In fact, I'm looking here at the report that you're talking about, and there's a line here that says, the shadow of 2016 hung over the 2020 election. <laughs> That's so, right. So they're acknowledging that um, they didn't they didn't get it right in 2016 either. Right now, they in this recent report that they've released, and it's available online. People can go out to their to the website, the association's website, and and download it and look at the whole thing. Uh, they concede that they made mistakes in 2016, but not as bad. What they say is we actually got the polls actually got the. Total number of votes, the percentage is right in terms of Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. So, but what they didn't capture well was at the state level because, especially three states, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, ended up going for Donald Trump by very small numbers. They mm -hmm. didn't quite capture that. Right. And so, even though the the big picture they got right in terms of sort of the the percentage of the total vote. They didn't get some of these states' rights, and that right. really threw it off. And, you know, I mean, 2016 was such a close election. Yes. I mean, it really was just a, just a extremely narrow victory by President Trump. So on the simple binary question of who's going to win, you could excuse the pollsters for, you know, getting it wrong on what essentially turned out to be a toss-up election. Mm -hmm. The problem is— that's not they were. That's not what they were predicting. They were predicting that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Right. And on election night in 2016, we all thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. Mm -hmm. Everybody did. So, I mean, that was an example of when the pollsters really got it very wrong. Right. And and so what they've done is they've gone through and they've tried to look at all the aspects of this and comparing it to 2016 and what they thought were some of the problems there. And they wanted to come back and say, all right, here's what we're thinking right now. And so they own their list. They've got they've got a list of about six things they say it was not. <laughs> okay. And I'll, I'll I'll read through some of these. Okay, but first of all, let's explain that this report is essentially an autopsy mm -hmm. by the polling industry on itself. Right. Right. Going back and looking and saying, what did we get wrong? What did we get right? How can we do better? And we use this term autopsy sometimes also for like political parties when they lose an election, yes, right? Yes, You got to go back. Republicans and you gotta, have done some autopsies. Yes, you got to go back and you got to think about where did we, well, the Democrats did an autopsy mm -hmm. after the 2020 election. They said, what, what the heck did we do to perform so poorly among some, you know, Latino groups and things like that, right? right. So this is the polling industry's sort of self-autopsy of its, <laughs> of its 
poor performance in 2016 and 2020. Right. And so I'll, I'll read through just some of these. Polling error was not caused by late deciding voters voting for Republican candidates. Uh, polling error was not caused by a failure to wait by education. And this was an issue here that uh, maybe less educated people are voting for Donald Trump and more educated people were voting for Hillary Clinton. And maybe that was an issue that they weren't capturing enough of the less educated voters. The third one, polling error was not primarily caused by incorrect assumptions about the composition of the electric in terms of race, age, ethnicity, gender, and education level. Uh, Polling error was not primarily caused by respondents' reluctance to tell interviewers they supported. Now, this is an interesting point. That is a very interesting point, because I think we've all just accepted the idea of the shy Trump voter or the Trump voter who has so much animosity toward the process Mm -hmm. that they would like get some delight out of lying to pollsters and things like that. And so they, they went through and they said, did we actually miss it? Is there a shy Trump voter? There may be, but they did. They don't feel like that was a, was an impact in this. And so they're going through here and they're finding these various things that they feel like it was not because people have raised the issue. Was it, uh, was the Trafalgar poll? Remember the Trafalgar Mm -hmm. poll, I think was the only one in 2020 that actually had Donald Trump winning, and they thought by a percentage point or two. Right. And what, they went back on their 2020 methodology because they believed there was a shy Trump voter that was being missed by most of the pollsters. Yeah. And so they wanted to try to capture that in some way, and it was a, a novel way of approaching it. They admitted that it was a novel way of approaching it, mm. and even they only were able to give some Trump something like a one percentage point lead. Yeah, when, when we talk about this idea of a shy Trump voter, somewhere behind that is not just what we already talked about, like the ones who refuse to answer or the ones who delight in lying. Mm-hmm. There's also this idea that Trump brought new voters in who had never voted before. And so they're not on the voter lists and they're not on the pollsters, you know, phone databases and things like that. But it's really interesting that, that the industry itself feels like that is not the explanation. Right. And, and so when when you look at some of the things that they're seeing – and I'm reading again from their uh, from their pre-election polling error aspect of it. The 2020 polls featured polling area of an unusual magnitude. Yeah. It was the highest polling era in 40 years on the national popular vote, and at least 20 years on the state level and local level in terms of, for the presidential vote. So this is a huge deal. Okay, so let's just emphasize in 2016. They largely got the popular vote right, right. but they missed at, at, at a few state levels. Right. Right? But what you're saying is in 2020, and, they didn't even get the popular vote. And you can even give them a little bit of pass on the state levels because those three states we discussed were very, very low. Right. I mean, it was right. it was a small number of exactly. votes in those things. Right. Skin of the teeth. But here, they said on the, on the popular vote, largest magnitude in 40 years mm. at the national level and at least 20 years in the local level. And the polling bearer was much more likely to favor the Biden oh, Biden over the Trump, and that was an interesting point too because uh, you, it was it was huge. I mean, in some we were seeing polls showing Biden with a ten percent, eleven twelve percent lead in some cases. Yeah. I mean, it was a big polling error that looked like it was just going to be a blowout for yeah. Joe Biden. Well, I'm looking at the at the report here, and it says that the average error 
on the polling vote margin was too favorable for Biden by between 3.9 percentage points and 4.3 percentage points. A lot of elections are decided within that range of four percentage points. So that is an enormous polling error and an enormous bias toward toward Biden. And then, of course, they they mentioned it was larger. The polling error was larger on the gubernatorial and the senatorial races rather than just the congressional Mm -hmm. races. And those, of course, statewide races. And again, they're not entirely sure why, but they missed it in so many areas. If I remember right, they had Susan Collins of Maine losing significantly, and she won, I think, by 10 percentage yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. There was, it was a huge, huge pendulum swing there between the polling and the actual vote results. And so the question that they had to ask is, why is that? And, and of course, we've mentioned some of the things that they say it is not. And so what are some of the factors that they think it was? So one of the things I see that they attribute the possible difference to is what they call voter file information not being available or not being accurate. Mm -hmm. So, but this really does go to this issue of voter base. I mean, when they say, when they say it's not that we had Republicans and Democrats weighted improperly, it kind of sounds like they did have Democrats and and Republican voters weighted improperly because where they're getting their information is from the voter files. Mm -hmm. And, and so when they look at some of these things, they say at least some of the polling error in 2020 was caused by unit non-response. And I think they think that they, it, not just Trump voters, but in some cases Republicans who are less willing to respond uh, because of things like just distrust in the whole system. Yeah. And if you thought that they got the polling wrong in 2016, are you even more likely to think they're not going to get it right now right. or you just feel like you don't want to let them know those things? Now, you know, related to that, this idea of, lack of response or non-response, there may be other factors, it seems to me, other than just Republicans not wanting to answer polls. I mean, we've had a cultural shift. We've had a societal change. I don't answer the landline at home anymore. And and I don't either. Yeah. I mean, most of my peers have already gotten rid of their landline Mm -hmm. at home. and, and, And just by my own laziness, I haven't gone to the trouble of canceling our landline. But we never answer the landline. We just let the answering machine pick it up, and maybe once a week we go back and listen to messages. Uh, so, And that's the primary way pollsters have reached households is mm-hmm. by calling landlines. I don't get pollsters calling my cell phone. Uh, I don't know if they're prohibited from doing so, but I don't get pollsters calling my cell phone. And so some of this non-responsiveness may honestly just be cultural changes in the population that we don't value the opportunity to share our opinions uh, to someone who calls us up anonymously on the phone Mm -hmm. to ask, you know, some of it may be that, you know, because of social media, I get to share my opinions all day long. And so why would I bother if somebody calls me at nine o'clock at night? Why would I bother doing it over the phone? So it may, there may be more to this than just partisanship. It may simply be a cultural shift that just results in, in pollsters no longer being able to get as accurate results as they used to. In looking at that at the 2016 election, they said they wanted to try to come back and factor some of those things in, and mm. they feel like they have managed to do that. And so one of the things they say is that we don't think that the, the changes that we made to try to capture these, we think that actually worked okay. Mm-hmm. And so we realize there's changes going on, but we don't think that's going to be the primary factor. We think we factored that in and got, and got that direction correct. So it, ultimately, they're coming up and saying, 
we're just not entirely sure why we blew it so badly. Yeah. Now, the the problem that we have here, of course, is you've got a huge and growing population that just distrust the government, distrust elections, and distrust a number of things. If you can't trust the polls, then you have a real... Uh, I think that feeds into this general public distrust of what's going on in the country. Well, you know, you you say maybe if the polls are inaccurate, it will cause distrust. I kind of think it may be that it's the distrust that's causing the polls to be it inaccurate. Be both. You know what I mean? It may be both. And, you know, I'm not saddened by this because I think polls have had a pernicious effect on mm-hmm. the political debate and the public policy debate in our country. Because you really can, you have push polls, you have polls that are that are used really for biased and nefarious reasons. Mm-hmm. I think people have become very cynical about that. Well let's just touch a second on the push on sure, the here. on the on the nefarious effect. Yeah, yeah. If you are a Republican and you see polls out there showing something like a ten percent spread between Donald Trump and Joe Biden do you think to yourself, you know, it's it's going to be, I'd have to go to a lot of effort to get to the poll and mm-hmm. vote. Maybe it's just not even worth it if it's clear we're going to lose. Right. Do you suppress some Republican votes in order to do it? On the other hand, the fact that they didn't get the, the votes that they thought they were going to get for Joe Biden, do people say on the left, well, look, it looks like Joe Biden's going to win easily. Yeah. So why would I even go out and try to do that? And, of course, in the past we've had this problem with, you know, it's the time zone problem, mm-hmm. right? Where if you're releasing poll results when the when the polls close on the – we're using polls in two different ways here, right? Right. If, if, you're, if you're releasing public polling results when the voting poll closes on the East Coast, mm-hmm. you could have a biased effect on people voting on the West Coast. Like right. what's the point? If so-and-so has already won Florida, what's the point of me even bothering to vote? So, I mean, that's a pernicious effect. And I also think there's kind of a kind of a nerdy philosophical sort of pernicious effect that polls have because we don't have direct democracy, right? right? We're supposed to work out public policy through the representative process where I vote for a representative and I trust his judgment, his or her judgment, right? I vote for a senator. I trust his or her judgment. And they are supposed to go and hash these things out through the legislative process and establish public policy like that. It strikes me that polls do like an end around that whole process, right? Well, you know, according to so-and-so bozo polling company that no one's ever heard of, mm-hmm. 75% of the American people want X. And now all of a sudden the politicians think, well, then we have to do X then because that's what the American people want. And it seems to me that polling has the effect of just short-circuiting the whole political process, how we how we settle these matters in the legislative process. We don't have a direct democracy. We don't just do what 65% of the American people think ought to be done. See, now you're hitting on an important point because we've been talking about polling with respect to elections, mm-hmm. and especially the 2016 and 2020 election. Right. But polling is done for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's, if you're involved in public policy, ele- elections, politics and so forth, you're just inundated with polls. Right. And so there's all kinds of polls about what minorities think about this or that mm-hmm. legislation, about abortion, about the economy, about mm-hmm. a job approval rating and so forth. Yep. And so if the polls are this far off with regard to elections, are they also that far off with regard to 
various political issues. Right. And so if a if a uh, elected representative, let's say a Democrat, comes up and says, the polls show that the public supports us spending three point five trillion dollars right, right, right. on the new th- on this on this new budget bill. Do we really believe that's the case or not? And the here now, it's, it depends upon how you're asking questions and other things. It's just yeah. not, are you going to vote for X or Y? Yeah, I'm, I'm way more comfortable with a, I mean, this is going to sound really nerdy. I'm way more comfortable with a sort of political dialectic process. In other words, how do we actually shape public policy that reflects what the voters want? That you actually, you don't say, well, this poll says the voters want X. We mm-hmm. determine what the voters want. By what by who the voters actually choose to represent them mm-hmm. and the decisions that they make in the legislative process, and then do they get reelected or do they get run out of office for making choices that their voters didn't care for? That's the way our process is supposed to work, not just shortcutting the whole process by saying that you know somebody went out and spent eight thousand dollars and came up with a poll and the poll says X, so that's what everyone needs to do. And you know, you mentioned that polling is done for other reasons other than politics. I mean, I have to sometimes speculate and wonder sometimes. We see some of these corporations sort of decide to go woke, Mm -hmm. right? And they make these big pronouncements and they come out with these commercials and things. And so many times, you know, by the time they get around to announcing their next quarter's performance, it turns out that Mm -hmm. they suffered for that. Their business was hurt by that because that's not what their customers wanted. But I'm just betting they did some sort of polling or they did some sort of a focus group kind of a thing. What, What do people want from us as a corporation? And it turned out that the marketplace said, no, that's not what we want. So that might be another example of, of where polls can be wrong mm-hmm. or misleading. And if you're making your decisions based on polls, given the fact that they're so inaccurate, you might be making the wrong decision. So I don't know that we know about the issues yet, whether or not polls are going to be th- are that inaccurate with mm-hmm. regard, because there again, it depends upon how you ask the question right. and so forth. Right. But the distrust that came from the 2020 election and the polls that, that mm-hmm. came out at least puts a red flag over all the things that pollsters are doing mm-hmm. and how much they end up affecting our economy and our thought processes and who we vote for, and just our general approach to what we're thinking of public policy out there. Yep. So, you know, as far as pollsters figuring out how to do a better job, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this old expression that, like, you know, polling is as much art as science, and I'm not sure it's either one anymore. I'm not sure it's a science, and I'm not sure it's an art. I, I just think it's sort of fallen into such disrepute that unless I see a poll result that is just extremely lopsided, like 82% of people answered this way or whatever. I just don't know that there's any reason to pay attention what any poll says anymore. Let's not make our policy decisions or our political decisions based on what some poll says. Well, you you said you'll you'll believe it when you see it on with regard to polls, and I think what most people think is I believe the polls when they agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Okay, well, Dr. Matthews, thanks so much. That was really interesting and fascinating. Um, you can find a lot more about public policy and the process by which we derive public policy, how we ought to do it and how we ought not to do it, at our website at IPI.org. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? And you can help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. And you can find out more about membership and IPI at our website as well. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. 